0: Welcome to Darkly Lit, where the candles are lit darkly.
1: (laughs) A scanner darkly.
0: I am your host, Kayla Berry. To the left of me is Mr. David King.
1: I don't want to set the world on fire. I just want to start a big old flame in your heart, you candlehead.
0: (laughs) To the north of me, Sade.
2: I got I got nothing funny to say. I never do, but I love you it's, guys. It's Aww, we love you
1: too. And I'm the one. I, that's that's my, that's my thing. I have to be the funny one.
2: And
0: then to the um, east of me, Chelsea Comer.
3: Yeah, CF Comer here with some uh, ski cola. Mm,
1: drinking mm. ski cola, it's the thing. That's right.
0: Yeah, since we're talking about David's childhood, I th- <laughs> Chelsea figures, let's bring something from my childhood for this.
3: Oh no. Oh, no, I was not expecting this trip down to Oak Hill today. I'm really happy because I got some Ski, which is the only soda. It's the only pop that I will like chug like most people.
1: What is what is Ski What's it flavored like? as? Yeah. yeah.
3: Um, it is mostly lemon with a little bit of orange juice. That sounds good.
1: Oh. And it's oh.
3: carbonated. That, mm. that sounds really good. I want mm-hmm. some now. So it sounds great it's, and you can only find it in some hillbilly towns. <laughs> Damn.
1: Sounds about right. Uh, so speaking of hillbilly towns. <laughs> <laughs>
2: wow. We're, there is a theme going here.
1: Yeah. Who's ready to go to New Zebedee?
2: All right. Wait, we no. Well, hold on. I have a serious question. Yes. Sure. Who brought the chocolate chip cookies and
3: cocoa? <gasps> oh, I should oh. have. Guys, Joke's on you. A, we, we have we a super- stop. And retry this because we need chocolate chip. I have chocolate donuts. I do have chocolate chip cookies, but there are ants all over them.
1: Aww.
3: No, that's just a little bit of protein.
1: (laughs) We have a dog that we're going to eat later.
3: (laughs) Who looks like a powdered donut?
1: Well, I mean, we had donuts earlier. But yeah, if you could share a little. We we can, we'll provide some, we'll we'll give you all some Gracie later.
2: Okay. All right, (laughs) then snacks are covered. Let's move on. All
1: right, cool. And we might get sushi after this, Kayla and I.
2: Ooh. Ah, oh, we'll, jelly. I'm going to get some yeah. tomorrow when I go to work.
0: Oh, hey, come jelly. on down. We'll
1: get you. You can come get sushi with us. It'll be delicious
0: and nutritious. Okay. Probably more nutritious than the ant cover cookie you have. So we just read uh, the house with a clock on its walls or in its walls. My apologies.
1: It's all right. I kept saying a house with a clock on its walls, but it's the house. It's a very lengthy title. Is it? Does it not grab your attention, though?
0: It's a great title, don't get me wrong. Yeah. It is a creepy title. And it's ri- written by John Bel
1: So, yes, John Bel He wrote a lot of stuff. Uh, I was looking at his credits, and he's written so many books with long titles. Um, like, for example, in The John Dixon Mysteries, he wrote The Bell, The Book, and The Spellbinder, uh, The Drum, The Doll, and The Zombie, The Mummy, The Will, and The Crypt*. And The Wrath of the Grinning Ghosts, among other things. He came up with some really creepy, awesome titles. I love these titles. Um, The Spectre from the Magician's Museum is another Louis Barnevelt story. That seems pretty rad. I've never read some of these. I might have to look into them. So apparently this book is uh, like the first in a series? Apparently. The thing is, I didn't know know this was a series until like years later, when I looked at its sequel, The Figure in the Shadows. And I don't know how you're able to, like, I, I enjoyed this book as a standalone. I have no idea how you're able to squeeze uh, one, two, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine more books out of this character.
0: Well, I, I can kind of see it, but why, why don't you give the description of the summary? Okay,
1: so uh, the summary, in short, uh, the story follows Louis Barnevelt, who is a 10-year-old boy who is recently orphaned after his parents die in a car accident, and he's kind of moved around from place to place until he eventually is settles in the town of New Zebedee, Michigan, with his uncle, Jonathan Barnabelle. Uh Jonathan is a bit of an eccentric to the rest of the family, and over time, uh, actually pretty quickly, uh, Lewis comes to learn that uh, Jonathan is a wizard. Uh, his next-door neighbor and best friend, Mrs. Zimmerman, is also a wizard, and the two of them are living, are living in this well, Mrs. Zimmerman lives next door, and Jonathan lives in this big, old, elaborate uh, Victorian house that used to be owned by a pair of dark, uh, dark wizards or warlocks, I guess. In this case, Isaac and Selena Uh Over time, they learn. Well, Lewis learns that there's something odd going on with the house. There's a ticking coming from behind the walls that is sometimes very quiet and sometimes very loud. And there's something else. There's all these peculiar things going on. And while the his, un, his uncle and Mrs. Zimmerman won't tell him much, they think the clock is going to spell some sort of disaster as the wizards who own the place uh, were interested in bringing about the end of the world. Eventually, on a Halloween night, while uh, uh, Lewis is trying to impress the only friend he's ever made, who is a popular kid named Tarby, who's also kind of a dickhead, Uh, they inadvertently raise the spirit of Mrs. Izzard from her tomb, and that's where things start going haywire. Uh, will they be able to stop the ghost or apparition or revenant of Mrs. Izzard from fulfilling her husband's wishes and winding the clock so it brings about the end of the world? Well, you either listen to this discussion or you read the book and find out.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's, that's, that about covers it. Yeah. Good job, David. Thank you. So, first impressions, guys. Of this book. I liked it. It was it was a cute read. I enjoyed it. That, yeah, that's my thought too. Here's the thing. I don't dislike it, but I don't exactly love it either. Uh, David kept, had been telling me like, oh, I read this book as a child. It was so great. It's just even spooky on its own right. And then I read I'm like, this is for kids. It's definitely <laughs> it's definitely written for young children.
1: I, I never said that it wasn't written. It, it was written for like everyone. Well, it was honestly, a book I enjoyed as a kid.
3: Like honestly, when I before I knew what it was, because you like I only got the title from you guys. I was expecting something kind of like Stinky Cheese Man, like with all the illustrations. And I was a little bit disappointed to find out it's like actually like written and has not a lot of pictures. <laughs> yeah,
0: the. It's funny because the artwork is by Edward Gorey, who I think many people will know as a great horror illustrator, but the artwork that he decides to draw on is like the more boring parts of the book. Like, he, I,
3: I, he wasn't really utilized, I think, for this. No, no. It's,
1: it's still, they're still good. Like, it's still Edward Gorey. No,
3: they're still good, but it's like... It's like he was told, oh, hey, illustrate this scene. But this is the most boring scene. Well, this is what we're paying you for. OK, I guess
1: <laughs> I do have some ones that are my favorites. I think my favorite one is the um, the one where they're opening uh, the Izzard tomb. And there's just mm. the, the you can see the two boys staring at the two cold spots that have appeared peering out of the open doorways. I, I, I'm looking at that one right now. I do
0: yeah. like the moon one.
1: Oh, where the eclipses of the moon?
0: Yeah, that, yeah. Because that actually is like, oh, I was wondering how that would have looked. So I really appreciate it. But then there's parts that it's like, this you you're being lazy here. You're just drawing a picture of a of the kid walking through the house, and that could be put anywhere.
1: And every chapter has its own illustration, which is kind of neat. There's some. They also each chapter has its own little like picture object that relates to the chapter. At, on the heading, um, I'm looking at chapter 10s, which is a skull with spectacles. Yeah, mm-hmm. That's
2: actually my favorite little... That's the one that stuck out to me the most, because I can't recall any of the other items for the other chapters, but that one stood out to me.
1: That's my favorite one. Yeah. It's pretty creepy.
2: But,
0: yeah, for me, it just... I don't know. It's it, I feel like this is a very dense story, but it's told in such a... It, it's definitely meant for young readers to be read quickly. Or like easily. And I feel like if this was written by like, say, JK Rowling or someone who's much more denser children's writer, I think, could unpack this a bit more. But I mean it's still good. I mean I mean I like like I said, I like it but I don't love it.
1: I didn't expect like I said, I didn't expect anyone to be like on board with me with this. uh I still really thoroughly enjoy it, even recognizing the parts where it is a kid's book. I kind of have to switch to that. How did it feel when I was a kid and I read this book? Oh, prob- for the first time. Like
0: as a kid, I probably would have loved this book.
1: Mm-hmm. But I fully recognize now the places where the writing is a little clunky or maybe it talks down to the reader just a, a smidge. What works for me through a lot of the stories, my general impressions is there's a great, um, to uh, coin deadfall, uh, dead I I mixed two things up, to quote, To coin dead palates, turn of phrase, uh, there's a good Fleming effect through a lot of this. Just the use of like weird specific items and places and little notions about, it kind of cements the time period. By the way, the time period of the book is 1948,
0: uh, 1949. That is true. There's actually a couple things in the book that it's like, I do like that kind of humanizes it. Um, Like Lewis is not like, he's like a stocky kid he's like he's overweight he's not good at sports and it's like because usually like some of those stories like oh this kid was an outsider but they're so they're good at everything but like
1: lewis is kind of a screw-up
0: yeah he that's the
1: whole point of the book is he's a big screw-up i mean in a lot of ways
2: Mm -hmm. he's definitely not a mary sue character
0: that's Mm -hmm. for
1: sure
2: I don't know if I'd call him a screw up. He's just gen. He's just like a genuine kid. Like there's yeah. there's a lot of things he's not good at, but he knows what he is good at. And he, he has the same fear as any normal kid would have. True, mm-hmm. losing your your only friend, getting in trouble with your guardian.
1: Not to mention clinging to the wrong. You know when you lo- when you have a when you're so desperate for a friend, you kind of cling to the wrong kind of people because Tarby's Tarby's a dick.
2: Tarby was a dick. Okay, so so it was. No, this isn't the kind of book that I would read. Um, maybe as a kid, I, w- I would have picked it up if it was like, oh, is it going to be scary? <sighs> Something that kind of got me through it was like, I kind of was like, maybe I'll ship Tarvey and Lewis and that'll get me. That. <laughs> but then like at the end, I was well. at the end, I was happy that Lewis found a new little crush. So <laughs>
1: yeah, Aww. Uh, Rose, Rose Rita, right? Yep. Yeah, she she factors big into the next book, actually. Oh, cool.
2: that's cool.
1: Yeah, I didn't read that one as a kid. I read it more recently uh, or or like a few years ago. I re- I, I read it and it was kind of cool because you can there's a more genuine friendship between those two that I really appreciated. But uh, like in other cases, they do have moments where they have like fallings out and and, you know, real struggles with each other as they're trying to kind of become they like, cement this friendship. And I enjoyed that. Yeah. They're like more realized characters in the second book.
0: Yeah, with Tarby you could tell like I knew him so immediately, like the way he treated Lewis. It's like, no, this this kid is just using him because he has a broke it was it, it was his broken arm or Yeah, he had a broken, broken arm.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah. And it's like, well, I might it's like nobody wants to hang out with me, might as well hang out with this one kid. But as soon as his arm gets better, it's like
2: Don't need you anymore. Mm -hmm. I did like that when when Lewis goes to try and pull uh, Tarby in to help him and we see Tarby's mom and she's like, oh, you know how sensitive he is. Don't tell him any more ghost stories. (laughs) I like that we got to see the truth behind Tarby. Mm
1: -hmm. Me too. Um, You kind of get how he you you, you get a little insight into him. He comes from a as far as I can tell, a kind of white trash family.
2: And a big family. So you get kind of why
1: he's he is the way he is. hmm mm-hmm. Like when they described the front yard of the house, I was like, holy holy shit, you know? Mm. Just like kids just sitting in the mud screaming at the top of their lungs for no reason. And this tired looking mother with a baby. That's what, what Nine, ten kids? I bet that's the tenth kid. Jeez. Um, yeah.
0: Like that's that's a lot. <laughs>
1: Um but yeah no the the whole uh, like the the whole thing with Tarby kind of rung rung true for me cuz it's like you Lewis is was just desperate for a comp like for friendship and he he doesn't even care like he's willing to take the the abuse he's kind of taking just because he's got this idea in his head that oh yeah no this is my this is someone who's my friend mm-hmm. and yeah he'll make fun of me but like i i i have to take it or otherwise i don't have a friend and that's that's really sad
2: that is really sad
1: i uh you know, and so when when they they had their falling out at the end, well, well, Lewis finally like kind of gave up. I was like, you know, this is really better for you in the long run, but um, but that it was is, still sad.
0: That is a very realistic experience for like a new kid, which what Lewis is.
1: And I was just a new kid, but a, a, a nerd, and by his his standards too. Mm-hmm. He's, he I love that at the end he starts naming different kinds of cannons, like, <laughs> and he's excited <laughs> because. Because Rose Rita his new friend, also knows all these different kinds of canons. So he's just like, yeah.
0: I really liked uh, the character Jonathan uh, as an uncle. A new, yeah, because one of the, the thing is Jonathan. Um, he's not old, and the, I know this sounds weird, but like uh, usually when you hear the whole, oh, this kid has to move in with uh, with his uncle or. Uh, someone else, they tend to be like this older person, like re- mm-hmm. much older person. Like think of um, like Nar- like the Chronicles of Narnia or I'm, I'm trying. To, there's another one I'm thinking of, but um, a
1: series of unfortunate events.
0: Yeah. <laughs> But, like, this one is, like, no, he's actually a nice uncle who's also younger. Like, he has a red beard, and it's like, oh, oh, cool. This is actually, it's like he's at actually a good age where he could possibly be a dad and take care of him. Mm-hmm. So, it, it's like, okay, this actually feels like a suitable guardian, despite his eccentrics.
2: I think I, just like Louis, I really warmed up to Uncle Jonathan and, and uh, Mrs. Zimmerman. And I, I did really enjoy... They because all of their uh, nicknames for each other,
1: <laughs> weird beard,
2: yeah, hag face.
1: <laughs> they're all they're constantly just like poking fun at each other because and then you they really do come off as like really je- really old friends and that's mm-hmm. why they're able to kind of just constantly poke fun at each other.
3: Would you uh, do you have any favorites, Chelsea? Or oh, I really liked Miss Zimmerman. She was really this, cool. I love badass
2: her. too. Like when she yeah, was, badass. Like, oh, that's right. Yeah, at the end. Yeah. I liked her probably because of all the purple. And that's my favorite color. Yeah, my, right. Mine too. <laughs>
1: this, I, would, I would decorate my pad to be like Mrs. Zimmerman's, honestly. hmm Yeah. So, I mean, for, uh, she just like, they do the way that they kept describing her, her, like, dining room, like, especially the night, that Halloween night when they decide to do the, like, illusion thing. Mm-hmm. Um, And they describe how even her fireplace had, like, purple fire in it. I was like, that is so cool.
0: See, here's the thing. Story-wise and, like, description-wise, it's great, but I feel like... It's, it's kind of like the opposite of H.P. Lovecraft for me, where with H.P. Lovecraft, he goes on and on, and it's like repeating himself. And it's like, but the story is good when the stories he writes are really good. With this one, I feel like it's the opposite of H.P. Lovecraft, where I feel like it does talk down a bit too much. And in the hands of probably, I, I, which is, sounds awful, awful, because I don't want to put down
1: John Belair's, but. Well, he's dead. He can't really do much about it. Oh, well. <laughs> He died in 1991.
2: In that case, then. Ah.
1: Well, I mean, (laughs) if this book is a... But, I mean, you should all be a little bit leery anyway, because this book is a little bit of a cautionary tale about, you know, dealing with the dead, so.
0: (laughs) But, yeah, like, in the hands of a writer that would unpack it a bit more, I think it could be a much better book. And, like, even something even spookier. Rather than feels like a child's
1: book. When was this written, actually? Um, this, um, let me take a look. Uh, fill in the gaps with something here, please, everybody. I need to, uh, I need to, I have the book in front of me, like I said.
2: You can also always just edit out the gaps.
1: That's also an op- option. So it was originally published in
2: 1973.
1: Oh, oh, wow.
0: Yeah. Wow. That's an older book. That's older than I thought it was. Mm -hmm. Does
1: that help give some kind of context, though, for the...
0: Yeah, yeah, it does, actually. Um, Okay, I kind of get it now. (laughs) <laughs> I kind of get it now. I'm trying to word this very lightly.
1: You don't have to. We're all friends here. <laughs> no,
0: I know, I know. But like, um, I feel like with some of the older stories for like kids, it's either really well written or they talk down to them, especially like during the 60s and 70s. A Wrinkle in Time by Madeline L'Engle was written in an older time period
1: you know that that style i, I see what you're getting at too because i'm as i'm thinking about the what i remember when i read a wrinkle in time for the first time i was like this feels very it's there's a specific way it's written that feels kind of like uh like I, i'm having a hard time wording it it's written kind of like this one Mm-hmm.
0: yeah yeah, the, it, okay. the difference
1: is this has spooky stuff in it, so I'm more on board. Well, are,
0: are, you, are, I mean, Wrinkle in Time has some scary stuff in it too. Are you
1: kidding me? Well, I read it, but it didn't. It didn't have the. Well, okay, it has scary stuff, but it's not like a like this is more gothic.
0: Okay, yeah, it's more gothic. Where a Wrinkle in Time is more sci-fi, but there are still some scary images in a Wrinkle in Time. That's I'm, true. I mean, it geez which is interesting because there's a lot of good writing too in the 70s i'm not saying that but like i feel it's kind of like you know um when the nancy drew series came out if you read them now it's they're very bland and but the idea is like they're trying to write for children in a way that it's talking
1: down to them a bit more and i
0: feel like uh this book doesn't give children enough credit that they deserve
1: um Sometimes in here, I definitely get that impression. I don't think it's all the time, but it's an, it happens enough that I kind of I was kind of noticing it too, and I was mm-hmm. like, hmm, okay, I think I know what you're getting at. It didn't occur to me when I read it the first time because I felt like it was kind of setting again, kind of setting the time period up. But, okay. Because there are some things that The weird part, I don't know. I don't know if you all picked up on this, uh, but I, maybe it's just me. The weird part is there are some things that it just kind of assumes you know. And I would be like, wait, maybe we would. they might not know about that. And other things it assumes you don't know that you clearly do. Mm-hmm. That it explains, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, like, it explains the weirdness of the Omega, but that's from uh, Lewis's perspective who doesn't know what an Omega is, you know? Yeah. And that's an important plot point. But then, like, the, the part, I, I would be more okay with it if it was all purely from Lewis's perspective.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But... Because sometimes it just randomly shifts third person to uh, – the part that bugged me was when it randomly shifted third person to uh, Jonathan and Mrs. Zimmerman. And it would just go on with them for a bit and then it would cut back to Lewis. But it didn't do that the whole book. Sometimes it stayed very – it wasn't close third person.
0: Mm-hmm. But
1: it, for most of it, it felt close third person. And then all of a sudden, for some reason, it would then shift to the the our two, wit, our two uh, wizards. And then it would go back to – Jonathan who had heard or not Jonathan would go back to Lewis who hadn't heard anything and I'd be like wait hold on can we choose one and, and stick to it I'm more of a fan of close third person so
2: I mean what do you guys think I don't think I gave it too much thought as I was reading it just because going into it I did think okay well this is this is a kid's book so those those parts where it was definitely talking down to the reader it didn't jar me because I was anticipating that Mhm. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't I don't realize it was such an old story but I think it's 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 not that bad of a read for how old it is. It didn't bother me that much.
0: No, it's not. A, I, I don't think it's a bad read.
3: It's just... Th- there is
2: kind of a... It, it has an older voice. that I It guess does. For us, it, is,
3: it, it does
2: stand out
1: maybe it's just personal preference but i kind of like the voice of this book because it did there's a co. there's a there's kind of a coziness to it to me because i picked up books like this from the library maybe it's nostalgia talking but it reminds me of when i was a kid and i would pick this book i picked this book up from the library for the first time and actually the very first time i was exposed to the book was through a um was through an audiobook it was the first audiobook i ever listened to
3: oh cool yeah
1: and uh the guy they had doing the narration did a really good job I remember listening to it. The part that always stuck out to me, the narration point that stuck out to me really strongly was the moment when the moth flies out of the organ. For some reason that was read with a a, a weirdly uncanny like amount of gravitas that made it feel more important than it actually reads in the story. You know, a moth, a moth with silver gray wings. They shone like mirrors in the moonlight or something like that. And I was like, that's really, that's really cool. <laughs>
2: Hmm. I wonder if listening to it would make that much of a difference. You know, that
0: would be an interesting thing to read or check out to listen into it as an audiobook. I think it would actually I could see it being well read out loud.
1: Mhm. I mean that be, I mean writing writing style aside, um I'm actually curious, do you, does the story at least work for you guys?
2: Um, I'm going to use the word cute again.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: it's cute. maybe Uh, Well, one, I didn't know it was part of a series. So when they started talking about, oh, no, doom, maybe the end of the world, I was like, I was kind of like, okay, so so there's the terrible shit might happen. Like, I don't know how if it's going to end as a happy kids book or not. But there was one part where it's mentioned, and I think it was from Louis perspective where he's like, ah. Yeah, the egg he was talking about the egg that his uncle gave him and he's like I, I still I didn't realize that I could also do this until I was much much older working as
1: I, I forget what he said he was working And as. an astronomer yeah at Mount Palomar that was very specific
2: yeah, he was like, oh, okay, well, I just got a glimpse to your future. Now I know that you're not going to die, so I guess that means the world didn't end. So that kind of took me out of it, and the stakes weren't as high for me mm, anymore
1: okay. after that,
2: that tidbit of knowledge. What a weird thing to do to all of a sudden say, hey, by the way.
1: He wouldn't know about this aspect of it until years later. Yeah, that was a bit odd.
2: Yeah, so that, that kind of... Yeah, but it, it was cute. I'm just going to keep saying cute.
1: That's fine. I mean,
3: um. cute kind of sums up the whole book, in my opinion. Yeah. Oh, I agree. It's cute. It's adorable. Um, I didn't think it was really in any way, shape, or form scary. Um, I mean, would you guys
2: call it a horror
3: book at all, though? Mm. I wouldn't, no, I would no, just, just
2: like a scary story. Maybe a scary story. More a campfire tale?
3: Maybe.
1: Um, I think I
2: it's just, more developed than a campfire tale. Yeah. But. I, I would, mean, like, it
3: kind of reminds me of um, Nickelodeon's Are You Afraid of the Dark more than anything else. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I get yeah. serious. Are You Afraid
1: of the Dark vibes from this, too. Mm, Which is why campfire, yeah. I would say it's like, uh, well, like I said, it, it's a children's gothic novel. That's the way I would, I would say. Like, it's a gothic novel intended for kids. So it's got images that are of a spooky nature and it's got weird it's got magic and it's got things that are like kind of romanticized um in a dark way but it's never really scary and mm-hmm. I could kind of agree there but I like the, the I, I I as someone who like really likes the, the gothic milieu if you will I like the images that some of the scenes conjure up, uh, the, you know, the different rooms in the house, the the weird encounter with the pipe organ that leads to like a storm cloud with a red gash of light in it shooting onto this paper, the moth of the silver wings, The uh, the way that they actually go about finding the clock or the like the midnight visit to the cemetery and the the cold gray light that keeps being representative of Mrs. Izzard, which is actually a pretty good image, I find. Actually one of my one of my favorite scenes from the book when I was a kid was when they're in the car together.
2: Yeah, I was actually gonna say that was probably my favorite scene there because that's I think that was the only time where I was actually reading and was like, okay, yeah, what's gonna happen? What what's going on? And, yeah, uh, that was probably my favorite scene. And there, there is a lot of like little like imagery um, that I really liked, like when he was describing the uh, the stained glass windows and how those will change. Mm-hmm. Um, there was one phrasing that that made me super sad and just like uh, where like they're I think they're asking Lewis right before the car scene if he wants to go for a ride, and he's like, yeah, I guess I'd like to go but then they they say like in a in a dying cat sort of voice. <laughs> I was like, "Oh god, that is such a sad. Sad, miserable. Like I think that's just a wonderful way to describe something so miserable."
1: <laughs> yeah. But the yeah, the car scene is very good and they build up I think Mrs. I thought they built up Mrs. Izzard very well cuz you never really see her mm-hmm. until the end and I thought that was cool. Like she's always in silhouette or they only ever see the light shining off her glasses or the The headlights of the car behind them being representative of her. I thought that was all really cool. Mm -hmm. Uh, The whole thing about crossing running water, keeping away witches or evil spirits. And I'm having a hard time pinning down what Mrs. Izzard actually was. I don't think she was a ghost because she was solid. She's some sort of, or even if she was really dead, she might have been some sort of lich or a revenant or something. Just an evil, she's back from the dead somehow.
0: I was expecting a zombie, but then it's like, oh, uh, that's not really zombie-like.
1: I always thought that was spooky in its own way, though, because like one of the things that when when so when Lew, there's the scene where Lewis is hiding behind the secret pa- panel and listening to uh, Jonathan and Mrs. Zimmerman talk about what they know about the clock and how they think it's working. Mm-hmm. That's a good scene. That's a that's a good scene for exposition, you know, and um, they talk about how they you know, they they they're not parlor magicians like us. These people gave their lives to magic. In the case of Mrs. Izzard, she gave her life for it. And I thought. There's a lot of good subtext here about what the Izzards, like, you never actually find out exactly what they did or who they were or even how they died. Like, that's kind of spooky in itself. So when she comes back from the dead, you almost wonder, was she even really dead to begin with? Clearly, she kind of set things in motion to make sure that she got released from her tomb by planting yeah. the name in Lewis's head and maybe even drawing their attention to the, her crypt in the first place.
2: There, she just she did also make that remark of like you don't it was something like you don't know what it's like to be trapped in a tomb with no one to talk to but like the corpse of your husband didn't she say something like that
1: yeah, yeah.
2: so that, yeah that gives an impression that she, when she died she didn't really die somehow but
1: again yeah. I I I think of liches I think of people you know powerful wizards mm-hmm. who have made themselves immortal by transitioning into undeath. It's possible she did something like that. That or her spirit just hung around. And when they did the thing to revive the dead, it brought her body and spirit back into like a natural existence, you know? Mm -hmm. I think it was
2: interesting that like how they kept going on about Izzard and how it was his house and how how much of a spoop he was. And then it's the Selena or what was her name that comes back and she's the she's the threat. Mhm. I was that did surprise me. I wasn't expecting that.
1: Yeah, I like how in they when they're going over the notes, like he built the clock, but it was really her. She was the key, literally the key to unlocking it. I think the other actually pretty chilling scene that's close to being chilling in the book is when Lewis hears the doorbell ringing at midnight and he goes downstairs and opens the door and he sees his Aunt Maddie who was it specifically says Aunt Maddie who was dead. Mhm. I thought, mm-hmm. "Whoa." That's pretty to the point right there. I like that. I like that whole bit. It was really spooky. And then after that, the house just, there's something odd going on. I like how it, The I think it builds nicely to the con- conclusion. That's always how I felt.
2: Yeah, I, I think overall I really enjoyed it. I It, was, it wasn't it was maybe my kind of read, but I'm, I'm glad I read it. It was a nice little something different.
0: Yeah, it definitely was something that uh, shook things up in terms of what my typical reading was. So it's like, oh, okay. So, again, uh, like say, I'm glad I read it. Um, I probably won't ever read it again, but glad I did. An
2: interesting fact about this, uh, there's going to be a movie made. Ace oh, Price. yeah. And, and that's, that's the reason this came up in the first place. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so I'm not sure if this is how much this is set on, but I've heard there's going to be a, a adaptation of this finally being made. They have Eli Roth slated to direct it. Which is interesting.
2: Yeah.
1: I am not a fan of Eli Roth. He does the kind of shitty gore porn that I hate in horror.
0: It's like, and to do it kids.
1: The weird part is they've already said that they have potential casting. And uh, Kyle MacLachlan has been cast. Has apparently been signed on to a role. I have no idea who he would play other than maybe Uncle Jonathan.
0: That, you know, I i mean, you've seen him go crazy enough in
1: uh, Twin Peaks. That's true. He, I just have a hard time picturing Agent Dale Cooper as Jonathan Barneville. <laughs> 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 I mean... I don't have high hopes for that as a result, just because it's Eli Roth.
2: I don't, I don't hate Eli Roth. Just, it's more the, the fact that he would be doing a a kids movie. I mean, I think we're, we're also assuming that it would be for kids. I don't know if they're going to like, maybe this was Eli Roth's favorite book when he was a kid and he wants to make the adult version of it. Like, it could go that horrible.
0: It's hard to say. But then again, um, Edgar Wright decided, directed uh, Scott Pilgrim is like, really? I didn't think he would. And then it's a really good film.
1: But the thing is, I like Edgar Wright's movies. I no. don't like Eli Roth's <laughs> movies. I don't know. So many books are poorly translated. And I would be curious. I mean, there's been a little bit of a revival. I mean, if they've just done A Wrinkle in Time, which was kind of done around the same period, it wouldn't. it doesn't surprise me that they're looking into a house with the house with the clock on its walls. Mm-hmm. My question would be, um, I mean, I guess for for the collective is so, I mean, we've all kind of given our thoughts. And I, I, I would say that I think I still enjoyed the book. I enjoyed it a lot more when I was younger for obvious reasons. But I still have a soft spot for it. And I'm glad I read it. I don't think I'll read it again for a while, but I would definitely share it with any kids in my life personally. Mm hmm. I've always felt like it I used to tell people that I felt like it could in my mind exist in the same universe as Harry Potter to a degree just with American wizards I and can, how American wizard society might work. I,
2: I kind of see that. I see it too because I, I was having that thought especially when they were going on about like uh where Ms. Zimmerman went to school and I forget what degree she said she has what they called it like that made me think
1: a D maj A.
2: Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I could see it being in that same kind of
1: realm. My uh, I guess the question would be, too, since this is part of a series I have read. I've only read the sequel, uh, but I and i am not. And but now I'm actually curious about the rest. Um, so I might look into it at some point. Did, was this interesting enough that just hypothetically, would you e- even consider reading another book with Lewis as a character? Um. As long or with the same characters involved?
0: If I was 10 years old, yes, <laughs> as adult Kayla, no. But I mean, I mean, here's the thing. There is like shows that I ad- or shows and books that I adored as a kid. But I have like w- like rewatched it and or reread them now. And it's like they're I, I can see why I, w- I like them at the like them. And I still they're, they'll still hold a special place in my heart. But as adult Kayla, I, it, it's I don't see myself rewatching it's kind of like Okay, at ten years old, I loved *Fairly Odd Parents*. I would watch that show all the time, and then I rewatched an episode, and it's it's okay. Mm-hmm. It, it's definitely meant for kids. I, I can like I can see the good in it and all that, but it's it's not for my age range anymore. Mm-hmm. And I know there's a lot of good stuff that's like outside my that out, is outside my age range, but there's some certain things that I'm like this was never directed at me at all. I don't think it was meant for fully for adults to enjoy,
2: but it's fine. I think there is definitely a content out there meant for kids, but that also translates well for adults that adults can also enjoy. I, I did really enjoy Lewis and Mrs. Zimmerman and Uncle Jonathan that I am curious enough... That I, I kind of want to maybe read more, but I also know with all the other content that is available to me that I already, that I know I do want to really read. I, there's, I would not ever get around to reading the next book or anything again. <laughs>
3: <laughs> how, about, how, how about you, Chelsea? I mean, this isn't a book that I would read again personally. And as a kid, this wouldn't have appealed to me because this wasn't the kind of book I was reading as a child. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's all good. Um, I,
3: I mean it definitely has its place and but it just it, it's not the kind of book I would have read. but it is cute.
1: I'm not, like I said I, I read I've read the sequel and I'll just tell you guys that um, the stakes are in that one are a little more personal which I kind of like like um, for for spoiler sakes Lewis finds this uh, I don't remember the whole thing. I just remember because I read it more recently and I don't have a copy of it anymore. I gave it to someone. Mm-hmm. But uh, Lewis actually finds this antique coin that uh, over time makes him like more confident It makes him like have like powers, like little minor things he, he feels like he, he's more confident he can do anything. But it starts to kind of make him do weird things too, and um, he gets really possessive of the coin. So it's almost a little bit like a like a golem effect. And um, as uh, the longer he has this coin, the more he sees this figure creeping up on him this 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 cloaked figure creeping up on him. Hence the title, "The Figure in the Shadows." And it kind of becomes more of a battle for um, for Lewis's soul, which I thought was kind of cool. Uh, it allows for Rose Rita to be a more prominent character in the story because she actually. At toward the end, she and Jonathan and Mr. Mrs. Zimmerman actually have to kind of race against time to keep Lewis from being uh, killed uh, by the thrall of this coin and the uh, this this mysterious uh, figure. And I thought that was kind of neat, but. Um... Not quite as big as you know a clock that's going to literally set the whole world on fire. But. Mm-hmm. So I, I want to say um, I know I suggested this one and that it wasn't everyone's favorite. I wasn't it wasn't necessarily the favorite thing we've read on here either. But it was kind of nice to revisit. And uh, I wanted to say thanks for humoring me and letting a, let and uh, reading this one for my sake.
2: You are welcome, David. <laughs> thank you. And I <laughs> really appreciate.
1: Yeah, thank you for sharing it with us. I mean, that's the point of the book club, basically. Yeah.
0: Yeah, Yeah.
2: that is is very true.
0: Did we hear anything from... Like uh,
2: our listeners or any questions from them or I don't think we even remember to like put out that no. yeah oh we forgot I think we all kind of spaced it on this it's been a I, I it falls anyone... more on on Kayla and I because yeah in this house and but, it's been uh, a, it, I
0: mean it was cr- been a crazy month for both of us for, I, yeah, it, you guys especially with all the yeah we're we're um yeah, our
1: we're underwater
0: <laughs> yes our, we're under uh, our apartment uh, has water damage. So we've had to like move all our stuff out. And now we're staying somewhere temporary until it gets fixed. So that's been fun but we'll, we'll be better next time. Sorry about that, guys. If you do have any questions or have any comments on this, um, we can address it in the next episode. Feel free to tweet us uh, at darklylitpod or email us at uh, darklylitpodcasts uh, at gmail.com.
2: I think we can also say that if if you are a new listener and you're listening to older episodes and you have a question that we didn't answer in the older episodes, we we would be open to any book that we've read on here if you still want to send in questions. I think that'd be fine too oh
0: Oh, absolutely i i have no issues talking about any of the earlier work we read so um i guess then uh shall we introduce what our next story will be the next story will be a
2: read from my childhood yay uh we're gonna read the thief of always uh by clive barker
1: yeah, Return of Clive Barker. I'm down yes, for that. Yes, we're
2: returning I to Clive Barker. I, there are also illustrations in the book. Ooh. And I, I don't know if Clive Barker did them himself or if someone else did. I... I, I, I know he's an artist, but... Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm wondering. Actually, that would that would be something I can in can check really quick. I just have to roll away from the computer. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm going to roll away.
1: Roll away. Roll away. Roll away.
3: Rolling, 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 Keep right. them rolling, okay. rolling, rolling. Yeah, illustrated <laughs> by Clive
2: Barker, which which is awesome because I actually really love. I really love some of the illustrations mm-hmm. in here. That was definitely part of why I liked the book so much. So I, I hope you guys will will enjoy this one. I look forward to reading it.
0: Also, me, me too. I think uh we didn't do this for the last story, but I think for this one, maybe we can delve a little bit into Clive Barker as an author, uh, just to get a little bit maybe more insight into him, because this is also including his artwork as well. So.
1: Right. I mean, I think it'd be good since this is the, this is the first time we'll be revisiting an author's uh, an, uh, an author on Darkly Lit.
2: Agreed. So um, I think that would be a fun thing to do. I'm, I look forward to it. Can I, since I have the book in front of me right now, what if I just read the first paragraph to you guys and our listeners? Ooh, Ooh that's a great idea. Go for it. Okay. All right. The great gray beast February had eaten Harvey Swick alive. Here he was buried in the belly of that smothering month, wondering if he would ever find his way out through the cold coils that he that lay between here and Easter.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's a strong start.
2: And
0: actually, it's a good fitting because we're going to be reading this for April. So, I mean, we'll be reading it throughout March, but yeah, it's coming out for April. Oh, my God. That's really fitting. Dang. Dang. <laughs> yep. All right. Um,
1: Fantastic.
0: We've already said uh, where to find us. Um, does anyone have any plugs?
2: Um. So things might be changing a little bit with the Witching Hour um, in terms of uh, how many episodes go out each month, but we're we're still going there. So check out the Witching Hour at CreativeHorror.com. Uh,
1: Midnight Marinera will be returning after its bizarre hiatus at the end of March. Uh, sorry about the delay. Obviously, was said earlier. Life got a little bit crazy, but I'm working on the first part of a two-parter episode that was penned by myself and Mike MacD. Um It's going to be a fun one. I have a lot of different voices in it. Uh, it's been a real challenge to edit, but I think it'll be. And it's going to. It's turning out pretty good. So uh, look for the first part at the end of March and the second part at the end of April.
0: And. Woo! Also, if you guys are Disney fans, um, we just released Song of the South a couple weeks ago. Feel free to listen to musings to hear about that. And then the next one we'll be reviewing is... Uh, Melody Time. Yes, thank you. <laughs> All right, blow out the candles and let's get out of here.
1: Tick tock, tick tock.